In what areas has the church fulfilled God's purposes that were set aside for Israel? In what areas? So in what areas have, have we, with God's original purpose, Abrahamic covenant, the purpose of God, the purpose to bring Christ through the seed of Abraham for the blessing to the nations? And what areas does the church carry, responsibilities does the church carry today that Israel doesn't? And then as we get into further, we're going to look at, look at that reality of who is Israel and who is the people of God. And these are questions I want us to ask. I don't want us to be afraid to ask these questions because I want us to think and know how to think, and I want us to know how to love, and I want us to know how to, how to pursue the, the kingdom of God together while still walking this out together. So again, my heart and, my, and, my, and the spirit of this is to, is to present these topics with the end times in view. So end time prophecy, um, end time events, the time, some of the timelines, the key elements, in a way that prepares you and teach you how to think and put them in an order that allows you to process through them. And so for the purpose, again, of unity within the body of Christ while walking together to please God. So, so this type of question comes up often when speaking about the church and Israel. There's, there's some confusion around it. There's some, uh, some areas of it that are right, some areas of it that uh, maybe we haven't been allowed to chat about much. So this comes up when speaking about the church in Israel and end-time events. But you have to lean into the question. You have to lean in and kind of separate it and open it up a little bit because the reason why people ask this question varies a bit. So if I ask the question, hey, has the church replaced Israel? The question is, why are you asking that question? What, what aspect are you talking about? So what people are wondering about when they think about this question or ask this question varies with the way the question is expressed, with, with framed from their point of reference, um, the, a presumption, an assumption of the person they're asking it to, of the person who's asking it, or in the person who's, who's hearing the question. So we could ask a question like this, has the church fulfilled or fulfilling the plan of God's salvation for the world that was a part of the Abrahamic covenant? So this would be one aspect of this question. So it's not, this question actually has a lot to do with other things that you need to look at before you can conclude yes, no, because it's not a yes, no answer. Another question that would fall within the context of that one question is, will the church fulfill God's plan for the future? And we'll talk about that in, in just a moment regarding end time events. Has the church fulfilled God's purpose for God's people. And we'll talk again about who are God's people according to the scriptures and why do people come up with two different conclusions. So yes, all these questions are related, but they all mean different things. And so it's, that's just the nature of this topic of eschatology. And if you don't, it, it, it's important that you understand that's the nature of eschatology. So all of these questions are angling for a different answer. And they're asked because they, they have a, a different sort of um, point of beginning. Uh, there's a different motivation behind them. 
And even so, when the one question is asked, there's different points of perspective and motivation. And what, what are we actually getting to? And again, this is for us to understand that um, that question can be layered and we need to understand that so that we can remain in fellowship if there is a difference in how we view some of these. So you could take, uh, you could take these questions different ways and you can ask them different ways and to some they will have different conclusions based on the presumption of, what, of how they came to the question. For example, so when a person asked, has the church replaced Israel, um, a good way of rephrasing that, has, has the church fulfilled, like I've already said, or fulfilling the purpose of Israel? Is that a, is that a possibility? So is, again, is there anything there? So we, we want to we lean into this. Um, so they, also the question, person asking a question might be asking that question with, with all these questions combined. So this topic, there, there's a danger of pres- presumptions, assumptions, talking past each other. And when we enter a dialogue or entertain this question, this happens. And as believers, this shouldn't happen. We should be able to talk through and say, hey, why, why do you think that? How, how do you feel that way? But this happens because the one asking or hearing the question doesn't know maybe enough about the topic, or they don't know what you mean by the question. So I think one of these questions seems very obvious that I want to begin by isolating as we, uh, as we lean into this. <clears throat> and so this is the topic regarding, again, end-time prophecy. So it's not going to be exhaustive about the question. The question is going to be pertaining to end-time prophecy. Um, but so for, for the purpose of, of how we're going to interact with this topic regarding, the, uh, regarding eschatology. So ult- ultimately... As we look at these questions, we're going to have to have in mind about the future. So we're thinking about the future. And in the process, some of these other things will be addressed, and we'll answer some of these other questions. And so I, I, my, hope, my hope is that you can see the nuances and why we need, need, more, um, we need to be more careful about the question itself and conclude appropriately to what question we're being asked or the question that is being asked to us. So the question is this, is God, now through, is, is, is God now through the church fulfilling his plan of salvation for the world, which was the central purpose of the Abrahamic covenant? So we have to understand that the, the purpose of the Abrahamic covenant, when we go back to the beginning, is for Abraham's seed to be as, as plenty as the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea. And so the ultimate fulfillment of that, and I'll ask you the question, was that ultimately fulfilled through the Jews or through Israel? Now, as we look at the scriptures, we go, okay, what do the scriptures say about this? Well, Galatians 3 um, says this, and this is Paul. And so this is the question, who are the people of God? Who are the people of God today? Who are they? Galatians 3, 7 through 9. And so he's writing to the church in Galatia, filled with Gentiles and some Jews. This is what the Apostle Paul says. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Now he's speaking about faith in Christ, not not faith in in the law of Moses. Um, Then he goes on to say, verse 8, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. 
and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations, so this is the gospel right here. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So there, this, the, the Abrahamic covenant had how many nations involved in it? All. That's right. All nations. So this, this was the, the all nations would be blessed by what God was going to do through Abraham. And so we need to, okay, all right, that's very interesting. And we, if we look further, Galatians 3.16, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but, and to your seed, meaning one person who is who? Christ. So, there is, there's something here of the Abrahamic covenant that you, when you look at this and on the surface you read it and you go, well, uh, well the, the, the people of God are, are then the people who put their faith in Christ. And people go, okay, all right, we're done. Let's move on. But as you know, eschatology isn't that simple. It's the, you have to continue to lean in on it and, and ask God these, and, and ask the Lord questions and then allow scriptures to, to, to speak to this. So we, we can continue Galatians 3. Um, verse 26, in Christ, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no, no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring heirs according to the promise. So this is the Apostle Paul. He is connecting the, the New Testament church with the Abrahamic covenant, and he, he is expressing the clarity that those who are in Christ are those who are Abraham's offspring, heirs, heirs according to the promise. So you go, okay, well, who are God's people? When we look at the church and we look at Israel, who are God's people? And so I will ask a controversial question. Are the Jews God's people or are followers of Jesus God's people? You don't have to answer me, but I would do when I ask the controversial question. It makes us uncomfortable. And many people believe, well, you got, you got to be careful. This can lead to, you know, anti-Semitism. First off, uh, we are followers of Jesus, and if there is any anti-Semitism in, in us, that's sin. We need to repent and, and recommit our lives to Jesus. And I, so it's, this is not about that. And, and a lot of this can be driven. A lot of asking questions regarding this is resisted with fear because of what has happened to our, 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 the precious Jews that we love um, and that we are to have a biblical affection towards for, for the purposes of God in their life, and we'll look at that later. Um, but we need to ask these questions, and we need to not be afraid of that. So then, so this is the question. Who are the people of God? The people who put their faith in Christ or the people who are from the DNA bloodline of Abraham? So Paul goes on to say, Apostle Paul in Romans 9, 
says this, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. So we just read in Galatians, well, what makes you an heir and offspring of Abraham is faith in Christ. It's the, he's the blessing to the world. So, so it's important we read that. Not all, verse 7, not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. So if we look at this and we allow the Scripture to speak to us, if we're asking the question, who are the people of God? I mean, you were to read this as it says here. This is, this is one of the clearer pictures, the clearer answers that we get regarding this question about what part is the church fulfilling of the original purpose of Israel through the Abrahamic covenant. So this means that it is not the children of the flesh, not, it is not through the, the bloodline, it's not the children of the law or the work who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. So Paul is saying, hey, have you accepted Jesus as the Messiah? And if you do, you are a child of Abraham, which is amazing, especially for Gentiles. For us, we, who, we, we had no access to the, to the Abrahamic covenant, to be heirs of Abraham, the promises of Abraham, all of that. And, but by our faith in Christ, we become, we become children of Abraham that connects us to the whole purpose and call of God from the very beginning. So again, Friends, I, what I'm doing is I want the Scriptures to speak to us and speak to these questions that you need to answer when looking at eschatology. So Paul is saying a child of Abraham is about faith in Christ, not natural descent of Abraham. That's what the Scripture says. That's what it has said. Um, I have not twisted these words in any way. And so it's important for us to read them as, as they are. So what is presented here is that the church, or those who have placed their faith in Christ, have, have been a redefinition of the people of God with the purpose of blessing the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So at one point, Israel was the light of the world. Israel and God's blessing on their life was, to, was for the purpose of provoking the nations to go, what is going on with you and your God? He obviously is the one true God, and it would cause the nations to bow their knee to Yahweh. Now, Paul says that the church, through God's blessing on our life, is our job, and what, we, how, what God's doing with us is provoking not only the other Gentiles to jealousy, but the Jews to jealousy, that they would go, what is going on with you Gentiles? And we say it is the blessing of Christ on our life and the blessing of Abraham. And so there is, this is, this is the, what, is, what has shifted and, and what has happened. So the, as far as the church, the church now is the light of the world. The church now is the salt of the earth. 
That's our calling. That's our purpose. And we'll get more into this. And, and there can be extremes to this. Arrogance comes in. Pride comes in. Sin comes in. It happens all the time. But we are to remain anchored to the word and walk in the spirit as we understand our identity as children of God. So what? It, so this is those who have placed their faith in Christ have, there has been this redefinition. We carry the gospel of Christ to the nations. So when the great commission was given to the, to the, to the disciples, there was, there was a, a massive aim, a massive uh, target, and it's, it was all the nations. So then when the nations received the gospel, they were also commissioned with the great commission. So then they became heirs of Abraham, which then they became the messengers of the goodness of God to their nation and to the other nations. So this is about, this is about God's purpose of blessing the whole world through the seed of Abraham, which was not seeds plural, but to the seed, which was Christ, which now we carry the gospel. And that's, that's we are the blessing to the nations. So um, what Paul presents here is that this purpose of salvation for the world was not plan B, though. It, the, the Gentiles weren't plan B. And we, as you lean in, you begin to see some of these, uh, some sovereign things of God that you go, man, that's really interesting. It wasn't plan B. So if you look further in Romans chapter 9, um, what if, uh, verse 22 through 27, what if God, desiring to show his wrath and to, make, and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? Even us whom he has called not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in that very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, I want you to catch this. Only a remnant of them will be saved. So there, is, there, there, there seems to be this statement regarding out of all of the, the, the descendants of Isaac, sands of the sea, stars of the sky, that actually only a remnant of all of those will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay and as Isaiah predicted. So it appears that Paul here is making a very strong point that from the very beginning, God planned for Gentile inclusions, Gentiles to be included, that Abraham's descendants would be comprised of not just Jews, because there's a remnant that's saved, which means part of the Jews, but all the nations of the world, all the people of the world. That was the plan from the beginning. So now... God's people under the new covenant, according to what we've just walked through, and I encourage you go through, read these scriptures, allow God to speak to you about this. Now God's people are both Jews who embrace the Messiah 
and Gentiles who embrace the Messiah are not, are children of Abraham. So the children of Abraham today, as we read in Romans, are not those from natural descent and from the flesh. They are now by faith. So the, under the old covenant, and as, the, as all of those who were saved under the old covenant by faith, when Jesus came along, not all of them put their faith in Christ. Judaism at the time had become corrupt, had become abusive, had become uh, things, it wasn't correct. And so, but there was a remnant who put their faith in Christ. And then that remnant brought the gospel to the Gentiles. And then we became a part of what God was doing all along from the beginning. So we didn't break from the covenant to a new covenant. It was the, it was the continuation of fulfillment of Abraham's covenant from the very beginning was the seed, which is Christ, to the whole world, which then landed in our lives. And we are experiencing that blessing today. So it appears Paul's making a strong point from, from the very beginning God had planned for the Gentiles to be included, which, of course, makes sense because we see the heart of God from the Garden of Eden and, trying, and, and from uh, Genesis 3, the understanding that he is going to work a plan to crush the head of Satan and restore man, all of mankind back to himself. So this is important language, though, to note, especially the last part of Romans. The last part of Romans 9 he writes, only a remnant of the natural-born Jews will be saved. So you go, okay, what does this mean? What does this mean today? How does this apply, apply today? And this is, this is what we want to talk about. And we also want to talk about why do people find, have two different conclusions on that, um, on that question when reading the same scriptures. And then you think, well, okay, well, I mean, did God reject his people? No, actually, there's a, there was a remnant who by faith were saved under the old covenant. I want you to remember, too, under the old covenant, you had Jews who, who were seduced by the gods of Molech. They were sacrificing their own children. Um, they, it, it was a horrific um, pagan world that was happening. And so when they turned away from Yahweh and they were now worshiping other gods, they were no longer saved by faith. They had put their faith in other gods. And if we say that you are saved because of the DNA in your bloodline, then we're going to be worshiping God with people who worshiped Molech and did human sacrifice of the old covenant. We're like, well, okay, we're not going to do that. Okay. So there's this understanding as we just systematically think about this. So then some people say, well, see, then the, you know, the church has taken all the promises of Israel, and Israel doesn't have any more promises. And so Israel, in many ways, has been rejected. Well, Paul speaks directly to that as well. Romans 11. I ask then, has God rejected his people? And he's speaking about um, natural-born Jews. By no means. For I myself is a, is, am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. So, so too, at the present time, there is a remnant. So I want to give you some context of, of 
possibility of what's happening in Romans here. The church in Rome has determined that um, the Jews, because they rejected Christ, have turned, they, they have um, done such an offense against God that they have fallen so far not to be saved anymore. And that what they were doing is acting in the same arrogance and pride that the Judaizers were when Christ came along and they rejected Christ. So Paul is like, hey, no, like you goofballs, that is not what has happened. But he's, he's, he's threading the needle here for them to understand that they haven't been rejected. There is a remnant who has put their faith in Christ and they are chosen by grace. But, and it goes on, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Works also, this isn't just works of the law. This is talking about also the works of flesh. It's no longer by anything we do with the flesh, including bloodline, including DNA. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Romans 11, 11 uh, through uh, 12 says, so I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? Excuse me, did they stumble in order that they might fall? No, by no means. Or some translations that they, they uh, basically fell to a point of no recovery. By no means, rather through their trespass. And so then he get, begins to talk about, hey, listen, Gentiles, you think, you're, you think you're, you're getting really arrogant that you think somehow they can't be saved, but you can? Like, I don't think so. By no means, rather through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. So as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, and this is what's beautiful, how much more will their full inclusion mean? So you're thinking, oh, wow, okay. So, so God has a plan for Israel, and God has a plan for Jews that are not serving him. And to get, the scripture continues, Romans 11, 25 to 26, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. Brothers, a partial hardening has come upon Israel. So a partial hardening, meaning there's a remnant still that is faithful, serving Christ, but there's a partial hardening that has come on them until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. Now, there is a key understanding, and this is where people have different views, especially right here. There, there's a key here to answering this question and looking at these views, and it's in the last phrase. All Israel will be saved. Have you ever read that question, and, or read that statement and asked the question, who is all Israel? Well, you should, because now, now, now you have to catch this for a moment, because earlier in Romans 9.27, it says that only a remnant of them will be saved. Remember when we just read that? It says only a remnant will be saved. Now he says all Israel will be saved. So Romans 9.27, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. So here you have to ask, like, Paul, what are you saying? And you know, I wish you could rewrite this so you would really clear some things up. It would be really great. Like, 
What, what do you say? So, I, so however, however we, we want to say this, it appears that those who have put their faith in Christ, both the remnant of the Jews and the Gentiles, are together fulfilling the purposes of God on the earth. They are heirs of Abraham through Christ on the earth to be a blessing to the nations of the world as lights of the world, salt of the earth, witness for Christ as the body of Christ. And these are those who put their faith in Christ, are the people of God. This seems to be a very clear and concise answer to this question about that. But, again, and we're going to return to this, this last statement, all Israel will be saved. <clears throat> As I said in eschatology, um, you have to bring great, greater clarity, and then you, in order to conclude the answers to these other questions, you have, you have to lean in, and you have to kind of look at it a little slower. Because in Romans 11, Paul points out that God has not rejected the Jews by no means. So there's a faithful remnant. It's always been, it always will be. But there is an issue here, because what does Paul mean when he says a remnant will be saved, and then he says all Israel will be saved? What, what does he mean by that? So th this is our focus as, as we look at this um, over the next few minutes, because it takes us into the future. So this is about the future. It takes us into the end-time events, and we look at the end-time events um, what is the relationship between those who believe in Christ, both Jew and Gentiles, who are called Israel by faith, and the language that all Israel will be saved? And so, again, as we, as we lean into this, I, I, I want to remove the, the hostility of, of asking these questions, praying about these things, and then us beginning together to walk forward as the body of Christ. So, but as far as the salvation of God, the carriers of the blessings to the nations, when, when, Jesus, uh, when Jesus came along and the remnant by faith of the Jews put their trust in him, then the Gentiles put their trust in him, they did not deviate from the original Abra uh, Abrahamic covenant of blessing to the nations through Christ. They became one. They became um, with one purpose, with one, um, with one uh, heart. They became members of God's family through Christ. So they're, they're, they became a part of the same family. So today, Jews and Gentiles together continue to carry out, again, the original covenant of Abraham to inherit all the nations to Christ. This is, this is the labor in which we are doing as followers of Jesus. But does that mean that the Jews who carry Abraham's DNA and the land and the nation called Israel doesn't have a role in prophecy and in end-time events. See, those who would conclude this first question then would conclude the answer to this is, does this mean, this must mean they have no role whatsoever in end-time events and prophecy. And I would say that's actually not true. They do have a role, and they do have a place. And so that's why we have to ask these questions and bring some separation, and then continue to allow God to speak to us as we lean into this. So as, as we're thinking, we're, we're talking about prophecy here. 
there's layered questions. So many people, um, they, they, take, they, they answer one of those questions and, and like, okay, is, has, is the church fulfilling what, what Israel was called to do? If the answer is yes, then we kind of just hit eject on, on the other things that actually God is doing through the nation of Israel and in end-time prophecies. So as we, as we just read, Israel is not totally set aside. They haven't been rejected. They haven't been disregarded for rejecting the Messiah. Paul says it was a partial hardening. And this was a part of God's plan from the beginning to inherit all the nations through Christ. And they will become part of the root, which is Christ. But we must not forget, and this is the, the, the very important part, that there's also a plan for the re-inclusion of the Jews and, and to bring them, that's, well, one view is that's in process right now, and another view is that's something specific out in the future that's connected to the events leading up to Christ. So one, one view of eschatology is actually that's, that's happening right now. That's, there are Jews who are coming to Christ, and that's an easy conclusion because you look around, you're, yeah, I know Jews who are coming to Christ. I know, I know um, Jews who are getting saved. Uh, I, I know this. So you could say, but that's in process. So that's one view. The other view is that this is something that is connected to the return of Christ. So what we do know is that God is not done with Israel either way, that God has a plan and that the, that the full inclusion of them to the root of Christ is, is going to be incredible and wonderful. The question is, is it connected to the return of Jesus? And that's what we, that's the, that's the question. That's, that's the difference there. But the question we need to clarify <clears throat> um, is because uh, it's confusing because Paul calls Jews and Gentiles who put their faith in Christ, Israel. And then he refers to Israel that seems to be he's talking about a nation. So which one is it? So the tension here is, is that what, like, is this, Paul, are, are, who are you talking about? Are you talking about those in Christ? Are you talking about the, the, the Jews or the nation? So um, is he talking about specifically the descendants of Abraham when it comes to end time eschatology? So the reason why I bring these two views up is because I want you to know, one, they're there. And two, I want you to understand why there is a confusion and, and why um, people get very dogmatic about it because as I've just read and shown you, you're like, yeah, he calls both of them Israel. And so because we don't like things unsettled, we go, by golly, it's this one. And we're going to hang on to this. And this is why instead of being like, well, that's interesting. So, so God, help us understand this because we, we don't want to become prideful in our own flesh to, to make ourselves comfortable. We want your truth, and we want to understand. So, when, when this question is asked regarding the relationship between the church and the nation uh, of Israel or the Jews, because we're living in the new covenant times, um, does this mean the Jews and the nation of Israel, does this mean that They've been abandoned by God. I've already spoken to that. But here's the question that some people view that, does this mean they've been abandoned by God? Or if not, what does it mean that they have a, a future role to play? What does that mean? 
And so the reason why some people say, oh, Israel doesn't matter is because they're wrestling with these two, the two words of Israel that, are, that they're trying to figure out how do they play together. So is all Israel referring to the entire nation or is all Israel referring to those who repent and put, put their belief in Christ, thus completing the fullness of the people of God, both Jew and Gentile? That's a really good question. And this is, this is the, the, the I don't like to say argument, but the disagreement in eschatology. Because what you say about those two questions is will lead you to other things regarding end-time events. And I know maybe this is frustrating to some of you because you're saying, Jason, I wish you would just tell me what you think, and I'll say I agree or I don't. I wish you'd just give me a line in the sand, but I'll tell you this, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that because, I, because I've been around long enough to know lines in the sand on things that we need to work out as believers creates division. And also, I've been around long enough to, to know in this role in ministry is that God wants us to learn how to have differences and stay in unity. And I want to set the model of what it means to actually fulfill the prayer of Jesus, that we would be one so the world would know that he is the Messiah. And I don't believe Jesus was talking about our, eschat our eschatology when he said, I pray that you would be one so the world would know. He was not considering eschatology. He, he, he wasn't considering the things that the scriptures whispers. He was considering the purpose. He is the Messiah. He is the answer. He is the one that every knee will bow to. He is the ruler of all things. And we are to proclaim that as unified believers together. So what does, though, this, this reality of all Israel have to do with future prophecy? So when many Christians look at Romans 11, 26, um, and in this way, all Israel will be saved, they read this as a prophetic future for the entire nation of Israel. And it's understandable, which affects how they look at Israel as a political entity and nation today and the land. So depending on your millennial kingdom, which we talked about last week, and I don't, we don't have time to go in, into that, um, you, it, the, what you think about the millennium will determine how you see this, this, uh, this statement. It will impact where it is placed in the timeline of prophetic events. So, so there are some questions, or some Christians who think, well, wait, wait a minute. Like, does that go too far to incorporate Israel as a geopolitical entity in the fulfillment of prophecy? So that's the question. Wait, is this, is this really a national thing, geopolitical thing? Um, some people would say, well, weren't the land promises fulfilled? Or didn't Israel um, send away the land promises? And there's a whole other teaching regarding the fulfillment of those promises, did they really happen? Did they totally fulfill according to scriptures? And there's some division there. Um, <clears throat> so, but this is where you have your differing views regarding Israel. You have Romans 11.26 that says, that's interpreted that political nation and Jews are all going to be saved. And then you have Romans 9 that says, no, no, the true Israel is about faith in Christ. 
So let's, let's just say, let's say for a moment we, we conclude all Israel is actually not about the, the, the nation, but it's about individuals who put their faith in Christ. And then, then, we, then we leave Romans and, and we look at other scriptures and see what they say about that view. And this is so important that, that we allow um, scripture to interpret scripture. So also there's the other one. Does the uh, national geopolitical nation of Israel ever come up in other passages when referring to end time events and prophecy? So let's lean into this and look at this idea of the salvation of Israel and the second coming of Christ because they are connected. The timeline of them is, is, what, is what is debated. So, <clears throat> so I... So I want, to, I want to start by looking at the language from Romans 9 and 11, and then drifting into other passages that will help us bring clarity. Uh, I, I think more um, completely about the question, it, it's, it, it's complex. It's, this is a, it's a tough issue on one hand, and, and it seems, in one hand, it seems very clear that those who put their faith in Christ have become the, the, the church, and that's you know, that's it, both Jew and Gentile, they're, true Abraham, they're children of Abraham um, from a salvation sense. That seems very clear. Um, and it's fair then to jump off that point and say Israel as a nation, then, well, I guess they have no place in the end time prophecy. And that's what one view would, would say. The land promises are null and void and they don't have a place. They just don't have a place because it's because new Israel is... Jews, Gentiles, faith in Christ, now they're, they're part of the church. But I, I want to present to you how and why believers have different conclusions about end-time prophecy and prophecy timelines. So the salvation of, of Israel, whether in whole or part, a nation or a remnant. So we've looked at, at both, either like in whole or part, nation or remnant, is related to other passages in the second coming of Christ. So it's obvious that in some way, Israel has a role to play in the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. So that's, uh, the, the, the disagreement is how. So it's not if, the disagreement is how, for the most part. So you have two views. After the rejection of Messiah, Jesus rebukes the temple leaders in Matthew 23, and this is what I, I taught in the first, um, the first session is what would be called a, a partial preterist view, that Matthew 24, actually, much of it has already taken place, and it was deeply connected to the destruction of the temple of 70 AD. But this other view takes what Jesus says out of Matthew 23, says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under, under her wings, and you were not willing? See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So this passage is also repeated in a couple gospels. And it's been interpreted that in, in, in this view, it's been interpreted that Jesus is saying to Jerusalem, this is what you should have said. You should have said this, but you didn't. You didn't say that. And so now this destruction's coming. And now, but, but you should have 
but you didn't. But when I come again, if your attitude is different, and if you, like, if quoting Zechariah 12, like, if, if your attitude is different, and now you look upon me, the one you have pierced, if your response then is, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and, and, and you accept me as Messiah, that's going to change things. That's going to change everything. So, that, so in that interpretation, in Matthew 23, Jesus is then speaking to the people as a nation. So this is not about something that's happened. This is, or it's going to happen in 70 AD. This is something that when he comes the second coming, he's in this moment, he's speaking to them as a nation. And so this passage is connected to Romans 11 that says, all Israel will be saved. Now, let me ask you guys something real quick. Are you, are you tracking with me right now? Kinda? Kinda, sorta? Kind of, okay, just watch it again and just read these scriptures again because it's, because it's a contrast. So when you're con- I'm contrasting, it can be a little confusing. So um, thank you for your patience. This is, it's it's, it's going to be great. You, you, this is going to be fun. So, so the, the view in Romans 11 seems to make the same point then if you connect it to this. All Israel will be saved. And what's also interesting is it's followed by a quotation from the Old Testament, Romans eleven twenty seven. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take their sins away. So one view says what Jesus said is connected to his second coming. The other view says, well, no, taking their sins away is referring to what he already accomplished on the cross. So as you can see, there's a, there's a, there are biblical reasons why there are disagreements regarding end-time events. This is why I caution you to be incredibly dogmatic about them because you'll miss the heart of God and you'll miss, you'll miss what God is doing in the present and you'll create divisions over things that actually, are, there are some good reasons why people could divide over them. But we don't, have to, we don't have to be in disunity. We can be unified and still disagree. But back to the current view that we were looking at regarding Jesus standing at the, at the temple. You, you, can, you, you can understand why someone would say, well, Paul is referring to all Israel being saved in a literal sense. Like, in a literal sense. And then what happens there? So they take that all saved to a literal sense, and they connect this, that scripture to other scriptures from Revelation regarding Armageddon passages. So this is what um, a lot of people have, are looking at and leaning into now with what's happening in Israel. Israel's surrounded by all sides. You see these different nations coming in. And so this is connected in, to this passage in, in Revelation that's speaking about Armageddon, where the enemies of God are surrounding the holy city, and Armageddon is about to happen and go down, and then Jesus returns to Zion. From Zion, literally saves the holy city, and the enemy, enemies of God are scattered. So you can understand why people would, would think that, because as we just read, it's referring, it referred to Zion. So here's the question. That is another, is another separation on why people sometimes have different views. Is there a return from the heavenly Zion to save Israel? 
is this referring to a spiritual salvation that had already been offered from Zion through Jesus on the cross? And so then you go, can, can we connect the other passages in the book of Revelation that is, that is connected to the return of Christ to Romans 11? So as, as just, just to let you know, this is how the pathway of eschatology is created. So you find this passage, you go, does this connect to another passage? You go, oh, it could. And then does that connect to another passage? It might. And then you draw conclusions on things and go, then this must be the position. But I, as I wanted to present to you, there are, there are real questions that sometimes I think conclusions shouldn't be made, and we need to hold them in mystery and trust God in it, but understand that God is doing something and that there is a role with Israel. There's a role to their inclusion. There is a, uh, a requirement for Christians to show affection to them, to provoke them to jealousy. And also there's just Christian love and support to a people group that is marginalized and afraid for their lives because of evil oppression against them and Hamas. So all of that is, is real. But so th the question, is this literal saving of Zion or is this about salvation saving sins from Zion? And so when we, when we look, can we connect passages from the book of Revelation to, the, to back to Romans 11, all Israel being saved? So when you look at Revelation 14.1, it says, And behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb. So you go, there's a, hey, we can connect that. And we know, you know, the, 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 he's, the Lamb is Jesus in the book of Revelation. He's standing on Mount Zion. And later in Revelation, he saves. He saves Jerusalem from annihilation. And so you go, okay, wait, that connects. And, and we go, I like that one. That was really great. I like that. Right? That, that, that makes me feel good. And so here's the question, as I just want to teach us how to think. Should these passages about Jesus saving Jerusalem, standing on Mount Zion, should those be used for interpretive filter for Romans 11.26? Some Christians will say yes. Some Christians will say no. And so as good folks and Americans, we say, give it to me straight. And, but it's important. What's more important than, than our conclusion is the body of Christ and unity within the body. And so what we do know is that there is an overlap of two different conclusions that many people don't, aren't aware of because we separate and demonize the one who would say, I don't see the, the literal deliverance of Zion. Um, and we'll say, oh, they're, they're, they don't believe in Israel, when actually they do. The overlap is that God is not completely done with Israel. So there is this great purpose and plan of God that God is working for the re-inclusion of the Jews to the family of God, to the root, 
which is Christ. And so it's the conclusion that the gospel is needed for both Jews and Gentiles. It actually brings, as we lean in eschatology, brings the hope of the world back to the original understanding of the resurrection. The hope of the world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The hope of the world is that the family of God would be united and be one and stop dividing and stop breaking fellowship over, over silly things and, 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 and understand. Actually, maturity is able to be different, have differences, but stay united in the grand scheme of the calling of a family or of, of God. So this is the overlap. Romans 10. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then, now I I, I want you to think about this for a moment. Before I read this passage. So Paul, Paul is, is, talking to the, the, the Roman church, they're saying the Jews have fallen beyond reproach, beyond reaching them. Paul says, what are you talking about? They have not fallen so far they can be reached. He did, he, he did say, yes, some of them have fallen, and I wish myself I could be cut off. I could be condemned for their sake. What he's saying is this, because they rejected Christ, they are condemned, but there is a remnant And then he tells the church in Rome. He tells the church in Rome. So you think they can't be saved. You're wrong. They need to be reached. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? So this whole context is the Jews. This whole context is not the remnant. It's the Jews that don't know Christ. And then he goes on to say, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. And so this is, again, for the church to understand our focus is the gospel. And our focus, we, we are to show affection to the Jews. We're to show love for the Jews We're to share the gospel with the Jews. We're to pray for them because their inclusion, their inclusion is going to be incredible. That's what God says, what God's word says. But to say we aren't to share the gospel with them is, is, is actually to violate the whole context of scripture where Paul says, how are they gonna know unless someone tells them? How are they gonna know? And so what, we have, what has happened in the church is we have, and unfortunately, we have demonized sharing the gospel to the Jews because we say, yeah, there's a lot of history. And there is, there is. There's a lot of history that, that they were persecuted in the name of Christ. But we are actually like Christ. We, we share the gospel. We share hope. We share love because we care for them and we love them and we want them included and how will they be included? 
unless they don't believe? And how will they be included? Unless they've never heard, and how will they be included? Unless no one's ever preached to them. And how will anyone tell them and preach to them that they might be included unless we do something, you do something to share the gospel with them? And yes, we love them. We, are, we, we care for them deeply. We show affection to them. But we share the truth of Jesus with them. Because how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ is never bad news. It's never bad news. It's never toxic. It's never wrong. It's never, it's never ooh, you got to be careful. You, I don't, it is the best news in the world. And if, if it's rejected, it's rejected. But how will they know unless we tell them? This is how we unite with different views. We unite in this reality of the gospel. So, but what about the future? And this is the tough part. So if you think this has been tough, this is the tough part. What about the future? So I, first, of all, I'm hoping that you caught that it, it's really important for you to understand um, when, when the question is asked about the church in Israel, um, it's important you understand it's, that you need to know what someone else wants to know when they ask the question. And so we need to give some grace to that question. 